All right, morning, everybody. Great to be up here with you guys and see all of you. Um, so the last four weeks, uh, well, this is week four, but the, the last three weeks, we've been talking about vision and mission, and then uh, the three pillars uh, for supporting the vision and mission of our church here at Redeemer. Last week was formation. Today, we're going to talk about mission. And then next week, Ben is going to preach on community and the vision to cultivate a gospel movement here in Northern Kentucky. And how we do that is by our mission of creating and compelling missional disciples. Uh, and then supporting that with the formation, Cameron talked on last week about us being formed as we gaze upon God, as we press in with a conscious awareness of his continual presence that's already in us, in our lives, and with us. Uh, and so today, we're going to uh, press in, and we're going to look at the passage of John 17, uh, which is a remarkable passage, thinking of us in God and God in us as we are sent out in mission together. And uh, one thing uh, to note before I dive in is, since I'm usually the amen guy, I can't amen myself. And so I've recruited Robert to come this morning to help us out this morning. So thank you for leading the charge there. If you don't, they'll bug you about it later. Just kidding. All right, let's, uh, let's come together in prayer and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, you are so good. You are filled with love overflowing. You pour your love by the Holy Spirit into your Son, and the Son sends that love back to you, and you pour that love upon us, Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes to know you, and you say, knowing you is eternal life, uh, to see you and to taste you and to delight in you is eternal life with you. And so I pray that you would come, pour your Holy Spirit upon all of us here, Lord, so that we see you, so that our hearts overflow with love for you and for who you are. So I ask that you would come now. Let me pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, our passage is John 17, 17 through 26. So you guys want to turn there. And we'll, it might also be up on the screen, but uh, John chapter 17, verses 17 through 26. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the, word, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them 
and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. So John 17 is uh, the great priestly prayer of Jesus to his church. He's come, he's been sent from God to reveal God to all of us. He has come that we might be brought into the inner life with God. Uh, into the very inner life shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he's about to spill his blood and drink in his Father's wrath and be severed from the in, in, uh, temporarily severed from that inner life, that intimacy that he's known from all eternity, so that we could be brought into this inner life with him. And he's about to return to the Father and calls us now into the reality of showing the world what this inner life is like with God. He says, you've seen me, right? Now go and show me. Uh, so, which leads us to, I think, the main point of our passage and, and then how our sin, though, and how our hearts butt up against it, uh, which is that here we are, we are set apart to be sent to show God. And we are sent by partaking in the inner life with God to go and show this inner life of God. And so we're set apart to be sent, right, so that the glory and the oneness with God and each other would abound before an onlooking world, world, so that the inner life of God would be tasted and radiated everywhere we turn as a church together. And so our, our mission as the church is directly rooted in our participation in the inner life with God. And so that's what we want to dive in here today together. But I, I think we struggle to find this reality all that compelling. We hear it, and, and our hearts often just aren't all that compelled by that. Um, and we act right by what compels us, and what compels us is what we gaze upon, and we gaze upon what we think is going to satisfy us. And uh, so I think uh, we struggle with this question. Is God and who he is and what he's called us into really all that satisfying? Uh, and is it really all that urgent uh, for others to see him, for us to see him, for others to see him? So I think that's kind of what our heart is continually doing. And if we say, yes, of course. Right? Of course he's compelling. Of course uh, uh, we should uh, want to uh, go and tell others. But uh, we want to say that, and we would do want to want to say that, right? But I think we're continually uh, butting up against that reality. And, and our actions do portray us. Our lack of compulsion, our lack of sense of urgency, you know, show where our hearts are. And uh, in our life, uh, for our own inner life, that circles back inwards on ourselves rather than radiating out. And we, I think we struggle with uh, a desire and a lust and a craving for more, either of what we have or don't have, or uh, this frantic fear of losing what we already have. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a continual reality in our lives, and you, you pick your poison, and I think we see it. If it's comfort, if it's wealth, if it's stability, if it's being in control and calling the shots of our day, if it's acceptance, attention, love, whatever, I think we see that reality um, at play in our hearts. Um, not, seen, not being seen as those kind of Christians, not being misunderstood or mislabeled or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and, and so we're often more compelled to, to stay in than to be sent out. And, and, and in inner life, in ourselves, in our hearts, in our sinful state that circles back inwards. Um, and so that, that question really is God and who he is and who he's called us really all that compelling. Um, so John 17 shows us that we are set apart to be sent to show, but we are set apart and compelled to be sent out by being brought in to the inner life with God himself. 
uh, we partake of him to then go and show him. And for this hopeless world to see what we have seen and to taste what we have tasted. Uh, so let's dive in to what in uh, this inner life with God and what that looks like. Um, let's gaze together as we gather upon his beauty and his excellence and the love of the Father between the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. So John 17, uh, so the first part is set, uh, being set apart. So John 17, 17 through 19 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, he says, is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So to be sanctified here means to be set apart. It, the uh, translations are often saying sancti- sanctified here, but it, it, it means to be set apart. And in John's gospel, this idea of sanctification, whenever you come across it, is always for the purpose of mission. It's, it's always linking the two together, being set apart for mission. Um, and uh, being set apart to go, um, and, and what it is that set us apart to begin with. And so uh, what, uh, which, what it is that sets, apart, sets us apart here, it says, is the word of truth. So what is that word of truth? What is this word of truth that sets us apart? And that word is God's self-disclosure to us. Him revealing who he is and how he is to us. That, that is the word of, of truth here. Um, the Old Testament prophets, they, they, would get, they would get called and they get set apart because God would meet them and he would give them a, a word to say, go and I'm setting you apart with this word that I've revealed to go and tell you know, my people in the world. Well, we have now been given God's greatest revelation, his greatest direct word, which is himself come in the flesh. We've uh, seen him, God's self-disclosure comes directly in the face of his son. And when we see the son, we see the father because, uh, you know, Jesus says, I and the father are one. Um, and here's, here's some more passages here in John and in 1 John that show that this word of truth is God's self-disclosure to us in, in the face of Jesus who's come and revealed him. In the beginning was the word. And this is in John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. And then in 1 John chapter 1, It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life, it says, was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Right, so, so God has come and he says, here I am, look at me, fix your eyes upon my beauty, see who I am, I have revealed myself completely to you. Um, I have brought my inner life that I've had and shared from all eternity right here at your doorstep to, be, to, to welcome you into it. And he, he asks us, are you going to come? Are you going to partake? Are you going to be part of my inner life with myself? Is what he's asking here. And so we're sent to show. Jesus prays in, 
in, uh, or set apart to be sent to show. Uh, Jesus prays in verse 18, as you have sent them into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Well, how was Jesus then sent into the world is, I think, the natural question then. Uh, because however Jesus was sent, we're supposed to be sent as well. It's the same way. Uh, and Jesus was sent by a continual partaking of the inner life with God. So a continual partaking of the inner life with God. A continual delight in the glory and the presence of God. Um, John 17 as a whole, the whole chapter, I think, has this trajectory of being sent from, um, being sent in and with, and then being sent back to. We see at the beginning, Jesus says, I, I came from your glory. You know, I came from your presence. Bring me back into the glory that we had together. And then his entire time and his entire ministry was with, in and with the Father by the Spirit. And then he says at the, be- at the end, he says, of John 17, you know, I'm coming back. You know, I'm going to die, rise again, ascend as the king of glory, and I'm coming back to you, Father. And so there's this from, in, and, and back to that I think uh, we also model. Um, coming from, you know, the presence of the Lord, walking in and with our Lord, and, and eventually, you know, when the race is finished and we run well, we're going to see him face to face. Um, so this inner life that Jesus was always continually partaking in on his mission. Uh, it necessitates that we, we dive into what is this inner life that the Father and the Son and the Spirit share together uh, and have shared together for all eternity and, and will share for all eternity more to come. Uh, because that same inner life is what we are invited, all of us, to partake in. Uh, the final prayer that Jesus brings to his Father before the cross, before he goes to the cross, is for our oneness with him that as he is one with his father, that we would be brought into this. Um, He prayed for all who would believe in his self-revelation. He says that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, verse 22, that you have sent, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, in you, in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. So, what is this oneness that he prays for, for us? What is the oneness that the Father shares with the Son and the Son shares with the Father and then invites us into? And what is the glory that the Father gave to the Son that he now gives to us? Uh, and, and then how does that glory make us become perfectly one, right? So that the world looking on believes that the Father actually did send the Son. Um, and how, how do we partake in this inner life with God, this oneness of the triune God um, that he shares together? And so uh, to get at these questions that I think the text demands from us, <clears throat> uh, so I ask that you bear with me. We're going we're gonna to kind of climb a little bit high today just to try and explore a little bit of this inner life with God. Um, and... Uh, um, and see uh, who he is, right? So God in his triune nature is mysterious, but he also, in John 17, 3, early in the chapter, he says, this is eternal life, that they know the Father and the Son, right? So he, he reveals himself to be known, and he, he welcomes us, and he asks us to come together to see him and to know him. Um, and so I'm going to make my case, um, and, then, and then I'm going to help see how I'm getting there. Uh, and also what I'm saying is in line with the historical church. So I'm, you know, it's not like some crazed heretic 
hopped up here while Jason and Cameron are away, so it's okay. Um, so as we looked at already, we're set apart to be sent to show, and we're sent by participating and partaking in this inner life with God to go and show him. Um, and so what is this? How do we partake in him? And here's what I want us to see. We love and delight in God the same way God loves and delights in himself, which is by his Holy Spirit. So we love and delight in God the same way God loves and delights in himself, which is by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is how God gives himself in his love and affections to himself. The Spirit is the love and delight that the Father and the Son share together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a foundation for this, and we're going we're to come in and look at this together. So first, um, everything <clears throat> proceeds from the Father. He is the one who begets his Son and breathes out his Spirit. He is the source of all that is. He ra- the Father radiates outwards in all that he does. Um, he is the source from which all flows in and of the essence of our, our triune God. Second, the Son then receives all that is from the Father. And he, he pours back to the Father everything that he's receiving. Um, so to be the Son, just as it is the Father is to beget, the Son is to be begotten. Right? The Father flows outwards from himself, and the Son receives and is begotten of his Father, to be from his Father. And then third, the Spirit is him who is the shared love and unity between the Father and the Son. And so this third point is what takes, I think, a little bit of extra groundwork here. So the Holy Spirit is the love and delight between the Father and the Son. Not just that the Spirit has love and delight for the Father and the Son, but that the Spirit is himself that love and delight that the Father and the Son share for each other. Uh, This has been the view of many like uh, Aquinas and Augustine and Calvin and the majority of our Reformed tradition. Um, And uh, one place that they they build upon this is uh, among among many, but uh, scripture shows that the son is called the beloved. Uh, The father says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so if the son is the beloved, this means that the father is the lover, the one sending his love upon his beloved. Uh, and if the father is the lover the, and the son is the one being loved, what is left but the love itself? Um, the love that the father has for his beloved and this love that the father has for the son is infinite. This love that the father has for his son knows his son completely, right? It says that the, the spirit uh, who knows the depths of God, but the spirit of God himself. And so God knows his, the father knows his son and sees his son and loves his son with all the infinite um, reality of who God is. Um, and we see uh, in verse John, it says uh, you know, the, the love between the father and the son is infinite because he's an infinite God. And we know that God is love. Um, and so the, the, lo- the love that the father has for his son and that the son has in full and equal return back to his father is the Holy Spirit. And so this is God giving himself in his love and his affections to himself, right? This infinite and eternal joy and love that they have for each other is the Spirit himself. Augustine <clears throat> poses in his work on the Trinity, he says, who better to be uh, the, the one who is the shared love and unity and fellowship between the Father and the Son 
than the one who is distinctly called what they share in common together. So he's saying the Father is spirit and is holy. The Son is spirit and is holy. So then why do we call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit if both the Father and the Son are both spirit and holy? And he says the Holy Spirit is distinctly called what the Father and the Son share together in love and what they share in common together. Um, and, uh, and what they share in common fellowship together. And so the Father and the Son and Spirit are all God who is one essence. And so it's not that the Spirit is somehow the essence, right, the foundation uh, from which the Father and the Son are both um, sharing everything in common from. Rather, the Father breathes out the Spirit through the Son and the Spirit returns back to the Father. So in this reality together, they are sharing of all that they are together. And the Spirit is the love of everything shared between the Father and the Son. And, uh, and who better to be the love of everything shared in God than him who is distinctly called what the Father and Son share in common together. So it's just this remarkable thing to be able to think about. So the, the Father gives all that he is to the Son. He gives himself fully and completely in love and affection to his Son. And the Son uh, fully and completely in love back to his Father. Um, and the, the Father gives his Spirit to the Son, and the Son gives his Spirit to the Father. And so God gives himself in his love and affections to himself by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the love and delight that the Father and Son share for each other. He, the Spirit is God's love for himself. And we're brought into the inner life of God in the same way. Uh, God gives himself to us by the Spirit. And the love, uh, and we love God the same way that God loves himself which is why I wanted to, to take this time to look at this, is because we love God the same way God loves himself. The spirit who is the love of God, the love shared between the Father and the Son, is poured upon us. God's love, it says in Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We partake in the inner life of God the same way God partakes in himself, which is by his spirit. And so now, because we are sent in order to show, uh, and it is the God in his glory that we show, we must also take a look at his glory. The glory that the, the Father and the Son share together and have given for us to also share in. To partake in God is to see God in his glory and delight in all that we see. So to start, what is God's glory? And so, uh, as a Bethlehem grad... Uh, I think I feel like I'm morally obligated to quote Piper at least once. Um, otherwise, I know I'd see his wiry hair and booming voice come thundering through the door. And if he didn't, then I know that Ben would rat me out so, and tell, tell him that I didn't quote him on a passage that had glory in it. So here we go. <laughs> uh, Piper states that the glory of God, I'm not going to do his booming voice, don't worry. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God made manifest. He says, notice how Isaiah shifts from holy to glory in Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When the holiness of God fills the earth for people to see, it is called glory. 
He goes on. Glory is the radiance of his holiness. It is the outstreaming of his infinite value. And when it streams out, it is seen as beautiful and great. It has both infinite quality and infinite magnitude. So he says, we may define the glory of God as the beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. God's glory is the outward radiance and intrins- uh, uh, the outward radiance of the intrinsic beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Unquote. So God's glory is his inner life with himself put on display. Everything he is in and of himself and sharing among himself put on display for us to see. When it's put on display, that is his glory. Um, and his, his, his infinite and supreme beauty made manifest, right? First, always and amongst each other. Um, but then given, to their, given and shown to the created world. Before there was anything but God, God radiated his beauty between himself, his Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, the Father's glory is his infinite beauty and worth displayed fully to the Son. And he, and all that the Father is, he gives his Son, so the Son's glory is his full beauty and worth displayed back to the Father. Um, and this unfathomable delight and love that they share for each other, the Father showing who he is to the Son in his glory, the Son showing who he is to the Father in his glory, the delight of who they see and what they see, and this love is the Holy Spirit. God reveals himself to himself, and as we talked about earlier, who but the Spirit himself, by which God knowingly loves all that he reveals to himself. For the Spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So they are all one in essence together and radiate their beauty together. This is the glory that they share and have shared for eternity past and eternity to come. And look at verse 22 then in light of this. The glory, Jesus says, that you have given me, I have given to them. The son has forever gazed upon his father and shared an eternal delight. And now we're invited into the same inner life with God to gaze upon him, to look upon him, to be poured uh, by God with his Holy Spirit upon us, who is the love shared between the father and the son so that we see God in his glory and beauty and are caught up in this, this overflowing love that compels us and we, we can't but look at God. Um, and become like God. We're brought into the same inner life with him. And so this brings us back to Jesus' words in verse 22 and 23, uh, where he says, The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Um, uh, As we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me, we are given the glory that the Father gave to the Son by which we become perfectly one. And so this oneness is, uh, I think, threefold here. I wasn't trying to do threes. It just 
seemed like it was working out that way, but it's also fitting with all this talk on the Trinity. Um, but this oneness here in this passage, I think, is threefold. Uh, one is in likeness, uh, two is in love, and three is in this collective purpose. Uh, so starting with likeness. Um, one is concerning likeness because we become like what we gaze upon. I know Cameron talked about that last week. Um, and we, it says here in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. Gazing upon God's glory, his beauty put on display, transforms us into being like God himself. Uh, We become increasingly transformed into the image of God, right? Jesus is the image of God, the full radiance of who the Father is. And Jesus fully and completely and infinitely sees his Father. And he's, he's bringing us to become, you know, into the same reality where we are continually shaped and being conformed into the image of Christ so that we see the Father as he sees the Father. And we become like the Father as Jesus is like the Father. I and the Father are one. So we are continually being transformed by gazing upon God and his beauty. We become together uh, with God in our hearts, in our souls, in our desires, and in our likeness. We become like him together. Um, uh, we, when people, and then when people look at us as a church, it is God that they begin to see radiating back to them. Uh, God's glory and his beauty put on display radiated to all of us uh, and, and through all of us to those in our lives. Secondly, a oneness of love. Uh, Love for God, uh, who has shown himself to us, and love for each other. It says earlier in John 13, uh, Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So a oneness of being filled with the Spirit by which we love and delight in God. Because that is how God loves himself, is his spirit. And he gives us his spirit to love him and love each other. And lastly here, and with regarding oneness, is this oneness of collective purpose. So we become one when we are are jointly submitted to the revelation that we've received. So when we collectively have seen Jesus and have loved Jesus and have cherished him in our souls, and we begin to uh, just adhere and submit to this revelation that's been given to us. We say, yes, I, I see you and I know you and I love you and I am willing, we are willing to be set apart to go and show what you've given us. This, be, this becomes this, this uh, collective purpose where he is, you know, the affections of our heart and our souls. And we, and we have to collectively show who it is we've seen. Um, and so we really do begin to have this oneness of purpose that really defies rational explanation to an onlooking world. We, because we begin to, as a church, 
uh, we don't radiate inwards on ourselves and, and, and circle back inwards and, and, and in our own agendas, or we, even within the church that causes <coughs> fractures and divisions in the body, but we are collectively being transformed and collectively <coughs> being um, set apart for who we've seen and we collectively one together in love for God and for each other, which means as the Father radiates out, we begin to radiate out towards each other, towards the world, right? And back to God, just the way the Son is back to the Father. And, and then the world begins to have no category for this kind of oneness. No way to rationally explain it. It's, it's nothing like what they know. It's not people always competing secretly some way for their agenda. Um, they see a collective family radiating outwards. Um, and as the scripture says, it is this kind of oneness by which the world will believe and know that the Father sent the Son. So we, in this reality, truly do become the aroma of Christ, either of life for those who will, believe, who will see that oneness, see that radiating beauty of the Lord and believe, or of death because they've chosen to reject him. But not an aroma of stench or filth because of our own division and sin that we brought into the picture. They will truly only see the aroma of Christ when we are doing this. And so um, let's close by um, looking at how John's gospel closes. Uh, Jesus has spilled his blood. He has shattered the teeth of death and Satan, and he's about to return as the king of glory to his father's side. And he says these words in John chapter 20, 21 through 22, here at the end of uh, John's gospel, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, look at this, receive the Holy Spirit. We are sent as Jesus was sent, and how we do this is by the Holy Spirit. His disciples had seen, they had touched, they had talked to, they had walked with God in the flesh but when it mattered and the fire burned hot, they scattered. They had seen God in the flesh, but it, it, they, they scattered. They ran. They, they, they went back inwards out of self-preservation. It isn't until Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will be the result? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I, I know on mission, I didn't today get into the nitty gritty practicals of actually being on mission, right? Of sharing our faith of methods of what that looks like and how we do that. Um, and how we do this in wisdom and in love, um, or of all that Jesus did on his earthly ministry in and by, uh, the Holy spirit as, you know, God come as human, um, relying on the Holy spirit, filling him at all times. But, uh, the thing is, is that we are often not a mission because we're not compelled and we don't see the urgency. And we, I think we, we lose the taste and that vital life force that connects us to then what, you know, catapults us out into mission, uh, which is partaking in the inner life with God by the Holy Spirit being poured upon us, by which we love God because the Holy Spirit is God's love for himself. And so does this inner life and being with him compel you? Does it captivate your affections? Does your heart explode with a love overflowing at seeing our triune God and being with him? And if not, and when it isn't the case, pray for God's spirit to be poured upon you because he will answer 
Uh, we have, he says, seek, ask, knock, but do it continually. And be like the friend who bugs the other friend and that friend doesn't get out of bed because they're friends. The friend only gets out of bed in the middle of the night because his friend won't shut up and leave him alone. And God says, bug me like that. And if you do, restlessly for months, for years, just continually, day in, day out, seeking me, I will give you the Holy Spirit, he says in Luke 11. Um, because he is how we are going to have our affections and our love for God, right? Because if it's how God loves himself between the Father and the Son, how else do we love God but by being poured upon and in and with the Spirit overflowing in our lives? And so do we, do we, do we lack a sense of urgency, right? There are hundreds in our collective sphere here who are not tasting and partaking in this inner life with God. They don't taste him. They don't see him. And they will only believe on the account of the word of those who have believed in him uh, and who have been brought into this inner life with God. Look at verse 20. It says, they will believe on account of, he doesn't say your actions. He doesn't say your lifestyle. He doesn't say they'll believe because you, you know, showed Christ uh, through what you were doing. He says they will believe on account of your word. Uh, so it's our words. Um, we must speak and proclaim and tell of God's self-disclosure in and of the face in who Jesus is in and of who he is and, and how he is. We have to proclaim this gospel, right? That Jesus died to save sinners, to enjoy God's beauty um, and to be brought into this life with God. And so it's never less. I've been talking about radiating outwards, right? In our oneness and in our lifestyle and, and being transformed like God does influence all of our actions and what we're doing. But it, so it's never less than that. It's never less than modeling and displaying Christ, but it's always also more. It's proclaiming who God is. God had to proclaim himself to us as the word of God and, you know, in the fullest. And so others will believe on account of our words to them, accompanied by us being like Christ. And so being compelled and urgent uh, will outweigh all the what ifs. Right? What if they misunderstand me? What if I get into the conversation and they, they mislabel me and think, oh, you're just another one of those Christians? Well, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's talk a little bit further. You know, uh, you know this, this is what I'm trying to get you to see. What if uh, um, I don't say what I need or, um, or what I need or want to, or just, you know, often for me, it's just this fear. Uh, and it's um, what's going to happen? You know, I'll, Father, where are you at work? And then, pressing in and uh, I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer in the comfort and security of my life circling inwards and calling the shots, but uh, stepping out uh, into just that where that trust and walk with the Lord and saying, okay, fill me with your spirit. Let your love be poured upon me for my love to be poured back to you. That compels me, like Paul says, compelled to go and show this ministry of reconciliation, this new life that you have brought. Um, let's see, it's by the spirit, by my spirit, God says in Christ, will you partake in my inner life and radiate my beauty to those in your life by my spirit, I will give you wisdom and boldness, but you must go and trust and watch what I can do. God is telling us to go and to radiate and to speak of God's inner life, right? To our friends, to our family, to our coworkers, to our, our neighbors. There's a reason our neighbors are currently our neighbors, right? It's, that's not, not a coincidence. Um, and God is calling us who have believed in kind of God's 
uh, word to us that we once received, right? Someone had to tell us, and they need the same from us. Um, and the ends of the earth are also in our midst here, even in northern Kentucky. Uh, I'm not saying uh, Redeemer has officially adopted any strategy or people group, you know, I come up here and all of a sudden Jason and Cameron have to backtrack. I'm not, I'm not endorsing anything at this moment, but I am just wanting us to know that there are over a thousand Arab Moroccans right in Highland Heights, right next to NKU. Um, and they are 99.9, I think one even percent Muslim. So it was like, it was like 0.01, less than 1% Christian. So very unreached, very in need of God's presence be able to taste him and see him. And so just as we um, come together to close, pray to see God, to be with God in his inner life. Pray to taste and delight and love God uh, for who he is and the God who has shown himself to us. And all of this is by the spirit being poured upon us. So pray and pray and pray and seek and ask and knock until the way God loves himself is poured upon us by his spirit so that we can then love God in return. Um, and may we radiate this love and this glory of our God together. So it's, it's, it's such a joy to be in this season of life together with you all to be on mission together by partaking in the inner life with God.